My name is Phil, and today's episode is going to be slightly different from our usual. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing Mikey Murray, the writer-director of Mindset. Uh, it's currently making a Q&A tour around the UK. It stars Ellis Cahill as Lucy, a disillusioned office clerk who lives in a dysfunctional relationship with her uh, partner, Paul, played by Steve Oram. You will hear the interview with Mikey next. So, um... Just for the first question, could you just um, introduce yourself and then your film, uh, Mindset? Yeah. Yes, my name is Mikey Murray, and I'm the writer, director and producer of Mindset, which is a new independent British feature film. So how did you um, come into making Mindset? Because I'm right in saying this is your debut feature as writer and director, correct? Yeah, that's right. It's my debut feature. So... um, yeah, I mean, I've been trying to um, get a feature film made for quite some time, actually, and I've been in development a few times with a couple of features. Um, they had kind of relatively big budgets for low-budget films, so it was, that was kind of the stumbling block, I think, a lot of the time as a as a director. It's quite difficult to get a feature off the ground if you don't already have a feature under your belt. Um, so it's like the chicken and egg thing. It's like sort of which comes first. Um, And so I just decided, right, well, rather than sit about waiting for development to happen on these other films, I'm going to make one in the the interim, um, which is on a really micro budget, you know. So I just decided, yeah, okay, I'll try and raise some finance. I'll write a script that can be shot for a relatively low amount of money and that we can shoot in a, like a, quite a short space of time. So I wrote a feature, which I believe we could shoot in about 11 days. Um... And that's exactly what we did. So, yeah, I wrote this a feature that was mainly set in my own house um, and in other locations that I knew I could get. Um, and then it was just a case, really, of getting the cast that I wanted um, so that I could go ahead with it. So what were your sort of main influences from for this film? Where did the idea for Mindset come from? So I'd had an idea that had been swimming around in my head for a while about a, a sort of a, a screenwriter couple relationship uh, where the one one was a screenwriter and one was an actor um, and they were both kind of failing at what they do and I kind of thought well what what do screenwriters and actors do when they're when they're not working um, and you know I've got quite a lot of friends in the industry so it was based on kind of stories that people had told me and like stuff from my own life because obviously I'm a writer and director myself who's not always working at that so that was kind of the initial kernel came from that um, I knew that I wanted to make something that was based in a house mostly just because that's the kind of budget I was going to be working with. Um, so then it just all kind of spawned from there. And then I uh, I, I was hugely, I'm influenced like, a lot by, you know, John Cassavetes, a lot of the sort of 70s, 60s and 70s stuff really and uh, British 60s new wave uh, films. I've always loved all that stuff and I knew that I was kind of going to be writing what was essentially a kitchen sink comedy drama. So um, I took sort of huge influence from filmmakers like, as I say, Cassavetes, uh, John Schlesinger, um, Hal Ashby, things like that. So what was so you mentioned that um, the shoot took uh, 11 days. How long was the process up to the shoot? And could you talk a little bit about how uh, you get a sort of micro budget? Uh, British indie film made in 2022. Yeah. Okay. Well, I um, 
I first of all start with the screenplay, which is always where I start. I know that you know I, I've got enough experience of projects in the past to know that without a good screenplay, you can't go anywhere with it. So um, I just made sure that I wrote a screenplay that I thought was you know I, I felt it was quite good. I felt that the story was interesting, um, and I felt I could get like top quality actors in those roles, and so that was. That was my kind of starting point. So I wrote the screenplay. I wrote a kind of vomit draft of it. Um, did a little polish on it to make sure that it was half decent. And then I sent it to Steve Orham, who I'd already had a connection with, um, and Ailish Cahill, who, again, I'd already met. Uh, two actors that I knew could play these parts, basically. I, I more or less wrote it for them. Um, when I was writing it, I had them in mind. I mean, uh, you always move on. If you can't get the actors you want, then you move on to the next. But... I had a strong feeling that I could get them both interested in doing it and they both loved it and said, yeah, we want to do it. So as soon as they, as soon as they said yes, that was my green light to kind of try and raise the finance for it. Um, and I'd worked out that um, just from making shorts and stuff in the past, I've kind of realised that you, you can make a film or you can shoot a film for about a grand a day um, if you... You know, if you've if you've got all the right elements in place, you, you can kind of do it for that. Um, and so that's what I did. I just raised the finance for that. So I split the film into 100 shares um, and I gave 50 shares away to cast and crew. Um, and I, I sold the other 50 shares to investors. Um, and that's how I raised the finance. So half of it was in kind and half of it was uh, investors. Sure. And am I right in saying that this was all shot pre-COVID as well? Yeah, it was. Yeah, so we shot it in 2019. Um, I, you know, it, it was quite a quick turnaround because I didn't finish the screenplay until like the spring of that year. Um, and, I, you know, I just decided as soon as those two actors said, yeah, we want to do it, I was immediately trying to figure out when they could do it. And they said Steve Orm had a, a, a one-week window in uh, July, so we just kind of said, "Yeah, let's do it." So we only had Steve for seven days, which I think, when you see the film, it's it's pretty amazing that we did everything that we did with them in seven days. And the other four days, we used uh, Peter Bancoli, who plays the third kind of character in the film, Daniel. We had him for four days, um, so we they crossed over for one day, I think, and then we had a day at the end just for pickups with Ailish. Mm. So yeah, that was yeah. That was that was the the schedule very tight, but it was we had it really well sort of scheduled and organised, so it it went like clockwork really. You're you're taking the film on your Q and A tour at the moment. That's where we saw it. We were lucky enough to see it there. And you spoke a little bit in the Q and A about um, your plans for how to distribute the film. Has COVID affected how you plan to distribute it? Did you originally have one idea about where you wanted to take it, and you've had to change it because of the last two and a half three years? Uh, not really. I kind of approach this project very much of the mindset that. Oh, no, it's <laughs> on the title in there again, but yeah, very, very much. I was thinking, I'm just going to make this and finish it, and then I'm going to deal with that stuff, which is not. That's not really what what you should do, um, and I know that. Fine, you're really supposed to have the support that you need in advance, um, but it was just the nature of the beast here because I, I kind of thought, right, well, I want to make a feature. I'm going to go and do it very quickly. So I just decided I'm going to shoot it, um, I'm going to edit it, I'm going to finish it before I try to do anything with it. Um, and then I think that when I got to the to it being finished, we kind of knew we were going to go down the festival route. 
um, and we were quite fortunate because we we went to Manchester first with it, uh, Manchester Film Festival, and it won the festival. So that kind of got us a little bit of notice, and and that that gave me the opportunity to go to cinemas myself and say, you know, I'd like to put this out there uh, with a Q and A tour, which is quite often what independent films do. Um, even when they do have a distributor, but I kind of wanted to see it through because, you know, I'd done a lot of the spade work myself and I kind of thought, right, well, I just want to see if I can make a cinema tour happen for the film myself rather than going through a distributor. So that's what I did. And I, and I kind of thought, right, well, and it's only the UK. Um, I've not distributed it anywhere else yet. Um, we're still waiting to find out from quite a few uh, American and European festivals whether we're going to get in there. Um, we've got an American premiere coming up in August, so hopefully that'll sort of kick us on a bit, and maybe we can get a distributor on the back of that as well. So, but I'm now I'm now looking for a distribution for, you know, VOD and and things like that. So we'll see. I, I just thought the tour might drum up some interest in it, um, and it certainly has done that. So I've got quite a few meetings and and things that have come on the back of the the tour itself. So. That's very exciting. I'm glad to hear that for you. <laughs> so you, you spoke about your inspirations for it, sort of being the 60s and 70s British New Wave. Um, those sorts of kitchen sink social realism films aren't often known for their comedy, but, um, you know, I'd say subjectively that uh, Mindset is filled with quite a lot of great humour. It's quite dark, but it's, it's a funny film as well. Is that something that did you feel like the film always needed to have that levity or was it just did it come out in the writing as you were making it no i think i always knew there was going to be comedy in it and like a lot of my sort of favorite films are uh very dramatic films but they they do have great comedy coming through them and i think that my favorite comedy is the stuff that comes out of you know real life and it's situation comedy to me it's the best type of comedy so um yeah i think i always knew that it would have that comedy and i think that quite a lot of those uh, British kitchen sink 60s films do have a lot of comedy in them despite the fact that they they're not sold or marketed as comedies but um, like Billy Lyre for example is one of my favourites and that's got tons mm. of great comedy in it for me even though it's got quite a stark bleak ending you know um, and I just I love that mix um, I always have so yeah it, it gives it um, a much more grounded feel I think uh, more relatable for a lot of people yeah don't want to give too much away obviously not a lot of people would have had the who would be listening would have had a chance to see the film yet but um there's quite a lot of discussion about mental health um was the idea for the narrative centered around mental health or did you decide to include that later on was it something did the kernel pop from there as well or uh, yeah i mean I, I i started very much with the notion that this was going to be a film that was going to address you know real life mental health issues um it's pretty subtextual in the film. It's not, it, you know, it comes through the story without, and, I, and that's kind of the way I work. I don't use a lot of exposition when I'm working. I, I like story just to sort of bleed out of characters. But I always start with theme when I'm writing. Um, so I knew that thematically my film was going to be very much a statement about uh, mental health issues uh, within, you know, the household. Hmm, absolutely I, it was kind of interesting i thought it was um the the way the information is revealed especially like because both of them are suffering from something and you never explicitly say what it is they're suffering from was that did you ever have um an idea to sort of label what they're both going through or did you think it was important to 
sort of have it um, not so ambiguous, but more unlabeled, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, as I say, I don't like laying it on with a trowel. Um, so I just, you know, I kind of, I keep those kind of elements of story uh, burning under the surface uh, always, you know. So I think that the moment you put a label on it, the moment the film becomes something else. And I don't like, I, I personally don't like films that sort of beat you around the head with a, a thematic mallet, as it were, where by the end of it, you're like, all right, well, um it's purely about that and nothing else. I wanted the film to be about these two people more than anything. Um, but of course, uh, you, you've got to be careful with your themes. And, and I think that as soon as you start labeling them or saying specifically what it is that uh, these two characters are struggling with, then it take it would take me out of the story anyway. I don't know how other people feel. I mean, it's very difficult appealing to all of your audience at times so you just have to as a writer and director I think sometimes you just have to do what you think's right and then hopefully you've you've got it correct hundred <laughs> percent um do you think speaking about theme do you think there's a, a specific scene in the film that conveys everything you wanted to say with the film or have you have you do you think there's a, a favorite scene that you think worked very well in in that way no i don't I don't think I've got a favorite scene in the film um uh, I think that it it, work, it it only works as a whole, I think, because the way that the, the layers are kind of, you know, it's like I treat a screenplay like uh, an onion, you know, and you're peeling away the layers as you go through it, you know. Um, and I think that if, if I think the film's very tight as well. Uh, I'm quite pleased with the way that it's turned out. In the screenplay, it's very tight. I'm really fortunate that the final film more or less resembles what the screenplay was, which is quite rare, I think. Um, and I think that's because of the way that we were working, which was, you know, that it's independent and I'm I'm sort of the, as an individual, I'm the driving force of the creative elements of it. And I'm not having to change my vision because someone else who's a money person or, or whatever is there saying, you need to change it. And that's not to say that that kind of filmmaking um doesn't work because quite often it does you know and I think that there's been there's so many examples of films in, in the history of film whereby you know many minds working on it makes a better film um, and you sometimes see directors cuts come out later and they're not anything as good as as what the original was I mean Cinema Paradiso would be one example I would give of that the director's cut is really loose and and it's not as it's just not as well told in my opinion you know so um i think that that interference clearly helped that film yeah, but with, but with this film um this was my one chance i think at, hopefully at the beginning of my career to make something that's that's just purely my vision and and um yeah so for better or worse that's what it is mm, absolutely and i mean i know for um for me personally there was uh two specific sort of uh, moments that really really stuck with me um just wanted to know if they were in the original script or if they came out later on there's the the shot uh the tracking shot of going up to ellis as she stood by the enormous window where you have the roundabout which i thought was really fantastic having it reversed so all the cars are going in reverse but you're moving forward up towards her i thought that was really really interesting and then the one just as a editor myself seeing the shot of when she leaves the hotel room 
and the doorway becomes the street she's walking up. I thought they were both really, really striking images. Were they in your script or did they come out in the edit or on set? Yeah, they were in the storyboard. So they, so they, they weren't in, I can't remember. I don't think it was written into the script for either of them. Um, I'm pretty sure it wasn't because my, my scripts are pretty lean. They don't, I don't ever mention shots or uh, film design in my scripts at all. They're basically, and you shouldn't really with a screenplay, it should never be in there. Um, so they weren't in the screenplay, but when I came to you know storyboard the film, which was shortly after, um, they were both very much uh, elements that I wanted to put in, which um, metaphorically tell the story. You know, so that like I try and keep my screenwriting head and my directing head completely separate. It's not always possible, but um, yeah, I don't write stuff into my screenplays that are visual directorial elements like that. Um, and it's interesting that they sh- that you should say that they're your two favourite parts because, you know, I've had other people, uh, a couple of reviews have commented that they feel that there's a couple of directorial moments in the film that are, uh, that take them out of the story, you know. Oh, really? So, yeah, so it's quite interesting, that, that sort of debate about, you know, and, and I'm often like that. I said to the producer, my, I've got an American producer, and I said to him at the time, do you think these two elements, do they are they too directorial? And he said, no, they're great. Like, you need to leave those in. Um, you need to show a little bit of directorial quality here and there visually, you know. And that is my belief. I like to I like to use some visual stuff, but it's not everyone who likes that, you know. Some people just are like, no, this film's about these two characters. We should just be in with them, in with the dialogue all the time, and the director shouldn't impose themselves too heavily. But I like to think I haven't imposed myself too heavily on this film. I think that you get films where the direction just gets in the way of the acting sometimes because it's too cutty, there's too many cuts and there's too many looking at things that don't matter. Um, But I don't feel like this film does that. I feel like um, I've managed to throw in a couple of little directorial elements without it impinging on the performance. Yeah, that's how I saw it too. But uh, I'm sure the people who disagree with us, they're, they're the wrong ones. Just agree with people. <laughs> yeah. Just agree with the people who agree with you. No, I'm just, yeah, I'm I'm sure. <laughs> um, so I don't want to give it too much away, but um, the ending, uh, I felt, although it leans in one direction, it has a certain amount of ambiguity to it. Something's happening and uh, there is insinuation it's going either optimistically or pessimistically. Um, did you ever think that it needed to be more explicit about exactly how it ends? Or did you think that it needed to end in a way that sort of allowed, because I feel like as an audience, we can make our decision up about whether it's going to be better or worse, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I don't think that, um, well, for me, the ending, I know what I think the ending means. And I think that visually I've created a, an ending that, uh, People have said it's ambiguous. In my head, it's not ambiguous. I think that visually the story is there of what the ending means. Um, But I appreciate that it's entirely up to interpretation because if you just piece together a series of visuals um, without sort of making it explicit, then people will interpret it in different ways. And I always knew that that would be the case. And I, I enjoy the fact that people interpret it in different ways. Um, and at some of the Q&As on the tour, people have said, well, what did you mean by this? And like, um, what does that part of your film mean? And I'm kind of like, well, I don't really want to tell you that because 
you know, my film is what it is. It's there to be read as a piece of art. Um, you don't always have the opportunity to have the director in the room and ask them. So, you know, it's it's not like an art gallery where you've got a little plaque at the side that tells you what the painting means. Um, mm. I want it to be ambiguous if, if that's what it is for you. If it's ambiguous, you need to go away and have a think about what you think it means or, or watch it again and watch the series of, or the sequence of the shots um, and try and figure out what it is that I was trying to tell you. Um, because that is my, that's my canvas in a sense. I've, I've pieced together a series of shots with the editor and through the writing that I think tell the story that I want it to. Um, and so maybe it's just a case of, you know, if it's ambiguous for you, have another look at it and see what you take from it. It's like the ending of Sopranos, you know. I know yeah. There's loads of talk online about what the ending of Sopranos means and people said, oh, it's a bit of a flat end and nothing really happens at the end. And then there's all these people who've got all these different theories about what the sequence of shots and, and what the meaning is within the shots of people walking indoors and things like that and people genuinely trying to work out what the ending means hmm. and i think that i was trying to do something similar with the end of this film i've got as i say a sequence of elements that that tell the story hmm. and so for me it's there um, and it's up to people to interpret it the way they want to yeah i think that's i think that's good at all as well because um Although there are quite a lot of the subject is quite heavy, obviously there are moments of levity throughout. So if you wanted to lean into the sort of heavier sides and, you know, go that way, but if you wanted it to be more positive, if you wanted a bigger smile on your face, I think there's, I think you could read it both ways if you wanted to. Um, I think that's really, really, I think that's really, really well made to, to be like that. Um, I think sometimes yeah. films give a bit too much away at their ending. But hopefully, you know what, I don't know if you heard the stories of Sopranos where it cuts to black and people yeah. were calling up their TV companies thinking that they've just lost their signal. Hopefully yeah. you have no one in the cinema being like, where's the rest of the film? Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, well, it's pretty clear that it's the end because of the, you know... Because of the, yeah, the, the credits roll, so, yeah. <laughs> um, um, so you've obviously now seen the film um, uh, with an audience on your Q&A tour. How many dates have you done so far? Uh, we've done... Uh, let me think now. We've done nine so far. Yeah. Do you think um, the audience have, have uh, responded the way you expected? Was there any surprises in the cinema to any moments in particular? Yeah, I mean, people have responded uh, the way that I expected them to respond. Um, I think that I'm really chuffed with the, the way that people are responding to it. It's been really positive so far. And I think that, you know, the, re the reviews that are coming out, people say don't read the reviews, whatever, but um, it's interesting to see what people were saying about the film, you know, and um, and so far we've not had anything really less than a three star review. So it's um, people are responding well to it. That, that that to me is a win. There's no one saying that they absolutely hated it. Um, so I'm I'm pleased with that, and I think that you know I'm pleased with the film. I, I'm very you know I always said to myself if I can make one film I'm happy with, I'll, I can die a happy person, you know, and. And I've already made that film. Like it, it's exactly the way I wanted it to be. Um, I'm really chuffed with it. And I think that people um, are responding that way to it as well because there's a lot of depth to the to the performances and the writing. So I think that people are seeing it and saying, well, you know, this film has something because it's, you know, it, it makes me feel this way or it makes me feel that way. So um, 
that's a real positive for me. Absolutely. Do you think um, seeing it in front of an audience in cinemas has changed uh, anything for you about making films in the future? Or do you think it's just solidified the way that you make and write your films? It's solidified the way that I uh, want to make films anyway, I think, because, you know, I've, in some ways I've been vindicated. People are laughing at the right points and, you know, people are coming away very sort of thoughtful about what it all means and people who are relating to it. I mean, it's really cool when people come up and say, like, I've really related to this character or I really related to that one or I really didn't like this character. So we had, we had a, a lady at one of the screenings who said, I really hated Steve Bonham's character. I just didn't like him at all. Um, and I was I felt a bit so, sorry about that because I think that ho hopefully by the end of the film, you, you start to, I mean, you, you're kind of set up to not like him, but then you realise that he's got a lot more depth and, and that he's... He is a human being at the end of the day, so it's. I was a bit disappointed that she didn't like him by the end either. But um, yeah, that's a shame uh, to hear because both both characters are so complex, aren't they? That yeah, yeah, they are. There's, a, I there's one thing I was saying earlier about how the I feel the 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 film is very grounded and and very real. Lots of people can relate to it. I think because no one's perfect, no human's perfect, and neither of these characters they both have their flaws and they both have their great things about them. Um, I think that's one of the, the the best parts of the writing is how complex they really are. Um, yeah, well, that's the, that's the stuff I'm interested in. I'm really interested in the in the little bits of conversation that happen uh, between things. You know, that are not they're not the glamorous conversations that you see in you know these uh, blockbusters or what have you. They do, they don't really deal with the stuff in between in life. They just deal with the big stuff and the the big dramatic moments but I think a lot of drama comes through in those middle moments as well and we experience it as people in our everyday lives that you know if you're talking about mental health issues um, it's those in-between moments where we feel terribly anxious or terribly sort of alone or, or whatever that that are important to us as individuals. So um, you obviously mentioned you're taking Mindset to an American film festival. Is that where you're looking for distribution? Is that what's next for Mindset? Uh, well, I'm hoping that there'll be people there who will be interested in distributing it um, over the pond, as it were. Um, so I, I'm looking at, already I'm looking at discussing it with distribution uh, and VOD in the UK. Um, and then I'll be looking for other, other territories, of course. So um, Cinequest is where we're showing in California, which is in San Jose. Um, so I've got two screenings there, so hopefully we'll get some uh, discussion about uh, distribution in America as well. Amazing. Have you um, started planning what your next project's going to be, or do you think you need to finish everything with Mindset before? Have you got any ideas rolling around up there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got six other features uh, in development, so um, I don't know which one will be next. It's kind of impossible to tell. I didn't expect Mindset would be the first one. That just kind of you know, I forced that through as it were. Um, but those projects that I had in development previously are still in development. I'm still trying to get them up and running. Um, so I've got like three or four really kind of polished screenplay drafts of other features and it could be any one of them um, that, that takes off next, who knows. Am I right in saying that um, your short city was uh, used to sort of be a scene of a larger film that you had planned? Yeah, that was a pilot shot for a, a feature. So that feature is still very much um, in my 
thinking as potential next project. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, it's that's a film noir. Mm. Um, so yeah, hopefully that that might get some more. I mean, the whole point of making mindset was to get more uh, people looking at my other work. I guess so. Mm. Uh, and where can they find your other work? Yeah, they need to get in touch with me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not, I don't have my, my screenplays aren't out there. Um, I don't have any on the blacklist or anything like that at the moment. So, um, yeah, so it's just a case of me making connections through through this film, um, continuing to make connections with the others and then, yeah, trying to let people read the screenplay, trying to get another one into production. All right, well, uh, we've just hit half an hour there. So I think uh, I won't steal up any more of your time. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for talking to us today, Mikey. Cheers, man. And that's the end of today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed listening to our interview with uh, writer-director Mikey Murray. You can find more about Mindset on Instagram at Mindset Movie. You can find more about Mikey Murray at middlemanproductions.co.uk. And then you can find us on all the social medias at Real Reviewing, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find the podcast at anchor.fm slash Real Reviewing. Uh, you can also find us on all your usual podcast websites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, everything like that. And I hope to see you next time.